Hey, it's Danko Jones. You're listening to the Miserable Failure Podcast. Welcome to the Miserable Failure Podcast, brought to you by Krusty Media. I am your host, Michael X. Krusty. It is great to have you here. This is episode 15, and I have Phil Rend. He is the bass player and the lead singer for the thrash metal band Sacred Reich. They started in the late 80s. They had a good run in the 90s. They did really well. They sold a lot of albums. They did a lot of great tours. Then they took a break around 97, 98. And then they started up again in the late 2000s. And they've been going strong ever since. They put out a new album, Awakening, in 2019. They were on a whole bunch of tours. And then everything kind of got canceled and fell apart, just like you know everyone else in the world because of the pandemic. They're still writing new material for a new album. They're looking forward to going back on the road and touring. It was great to catch up with Phil. I had met him previously a couple times. I shot his band in Toronto, uh, I want to say two times now. He is a great dude. He is an absolute sweetheart. You know, he's got lots of great stories touring with Pantera in the 90s, hanging out with uh, Newstead in the 80s, and Newstead going and trying out for Metallica and just... So many stories, so many great stories you're going to really enjoy. And we're going to get to the interview in just a second. But first, we're going to play some music by Sacred Break. from Sacred Reich. How are you doing? Great. How are you, man? I'm doing really well. I'm super excited to be talking to you. When I messaged you and said, hey, do you want to do my podcast? You're excited to do it. There was no hesitation. So I I appreciate that. It's my pleasure. You guys released a brand new album, Awakening, which was amazing. And you had a whole bunch of touring for 2020. And obviously that didn't happen. So have you guys done anything positive with that? Like, are we going to get a new album out? Eventually, you know, the thing is, is it was funny, you know, it took us 23 years to make a new record. We finally put it out. We had the whole year booked, And then obviously, you know, everything changed. But, you know, we're just one band experiencing that amongst every other band. And there's other people who've have had health problems and lost family members over this. So, you know, the fact that we got put on hold is, while personally a bit of a drag, you know, it could be much, much, much worse. And so we said, if we really can't do much, we should at least sit and write some songs. Yeah. So we've been writing songs and working on that. You know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, we have dates in October in Australia, New Zealand. And I know Australia, New Zealand is fine. Whether they will let us in, 
is another matter. So we'll find out as it comes closer. And we have dates, November, December in Europe with Sepultura. And Crowbar. Yeah, and Crowbar. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just, I love Crowbar. <laughs> Me too. And Sepultura guys, I mean, we're friends with all those guys and really looking forward to it. So I, I feel optimistic, you know, uh, by the end of the year, maybe, you know, most people will be vaccinated by then and there'll be some safety protocols and hopefully it'll happen. And then hopefully we'll do, you know, we have uh, Crowbar and Sepultura updates in the U.S., you know, in North America. Hopefully next year, maybe those will happen. will have been two years. How does that work? Are all the venues and all the promoters holding those spots for you that were supposed to be in April or wherever it was in 2020? You have those same dates booked in April 2022? You know, the agent goes back to the promoters and is like, you know, it's obviously not going to happen. But then they try to just rebook. Imagine what a nightmare, fucking booking the same tour three times. Such a nightmare. So many people and so much money involved. I always bring up Metallica, but like Metallica had this South American tour booked at the end of 2020 and they never announced it. They never announced it was getting canceled and canceled. People were like, what's going on? When Metallica goes on tour, it's a big thing because it's stadiums, right? So they have they have a ship that takes all of their stuff that was supposed to be in Australia to South America. And then they have just the whole, the whole crew and, and all the promoters and all the people that are involved. It's not as easy as just be like, hey, we're going to cancel this show or we're going to cancel this tour. There's a, probably so many lawyers involved. Being a promoter or PR too is just probably a disaster. Absolute disaster. At least everybody understands it's not. Yeah, it's not just you. <laughs> yeah. So everybody's in the same position. Everybody wants it. You know, everybody wants the restrictions lifted, you know when it's safe. Well, maybe not everybody wants restrictions lifted when it's safe. Some people are ready to go right now, like Texas and Mississippi. But um, I think generally speaking, everybody wants to wait till it makes sense. Who knows when that's going to happen? I mean, I'm optimistic for October, November, December, but I guess we'll see. Like you said earlier, you hadn't released an album in 23 years because I was Heal that was in 96 and then Awakening in 2019. Musical careers have come and gone in that time. But it's not like you were sitting around doing nothing. You guys were still touring. You guys were still playing shows constantly, playing all the festivals and all that stuff, right? Yeah, since about 2007. We stopped playing in about 97. So we took about 10 years off and then started playing again in 2007. When you're releasing an album in 96 versus 2019, it's got to be like just night and day. It is. You know, we were laughing because we had never released a record in the internet age. Yeah. Back then, there was no social media. There was no anything, you know. There were no cell phones. We, we didn't have cell phones when we were making the last record in yeah, I got to admit, I was 17 when Heal came out and I definitely downloaded that album <laughs> illegally. Oh, like really? when MP3s were just like barely a thing. Yeah, so you know, things are different. People used to buy records back then. Less people buy records now. Yeah. There's a lot more, just a lot more content that's out there these days. You know, lots more releases, lots more bands. Did you have to get someone to like run your social media? Um, I do a crappy job at it, like, Whatever. Who cares? I'm not, we're not here to win the internet. Yeah. Okay. But you still, you like the album came out on vinyl and CD and stuff, but obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really great. You know, the, the cool thing I really like about all of it is you get feedback directly from the fans. Yes. You, know, you get to interact directly with the fans. Yeah, I think, I think it's a net positive thing, definitely. You know, there's always people that trying to take the piss out of you, which is fine. You know, there's always going to be those people. But for the majority, it's nice to be able to hear from the fans. You can ask questions. What songs do you like? What songs you want to hear? I think it's a great opportunity to interact directly with people. That'd be a great way to build a set list. Like, you know, you're going out 2019. Hey, what songs off the albums do you want to hear? And then if it's a song you guys like playing live, throw that in the set well we we ask what songs you want to hear and i think for the most part i i know kind of what people want to hear but it's interesting to say you know on this record what's your favorite song on this record what's your favorite song and sometimes you get surprising answers you get the answers you think you're gonna get and then you get some unexpected stuff so that's cool too yeah something to believe manifest reality there you go play those ones live and i'm happy we never played something to believe um live on the last tours that we had done. 
I don't know why. It's just, it's hard for me to sing and play that song, actually. So it's funny. That song is a demo I really disliked a great deal. Oh, wow. There was something about it that I liked. And there was something about it I really disliked. And when we got in the studio, we kind of changed it. And it turned into something a little more Judas Priesty than uh, what its previous incarnation, which I wasn't a big fan of. But uh, I, I like the final version that came out on the record. It sticks out a little bit more because it's not as thrashy as the other songs. It's a little more melodic, but it, it works. It's great. You know, it's funny. I was talking, uh, Dave and I were talking about the songs that we have for the next record and, you know, just kind of the balance. And when we were talking about independent, I think that was a record that maybe we didn't harken back to our roots a lot on. And I, I like to make sure, like on the last record, we want to make sure that we were faithful to the people who got us here, you know, the people that were into ignorance and that kind of thing. Yeah. And we forget that while adding new things, because for us, it's important to add new stuff, new elements. and Keep it fresh, for sure. Yeah, and to be open, to be able to do, what does a Sacred Reich song sound like? Well, whatever we really choose to do, isn't it? So trying to strike a balance and talking about what's a Sacred Reich song, what isn't a Sacred Reich song, making sure we have some adventurous stuff in there as well. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but... Was, <laughs> was Dave a part of the writing for Awakening, or did he join the band after you had really written the album? He was busy, you know, they, he was touring with Machine Head. Mm -hmm. I would send him demos and stuff. We were working on songs the whole time and I was sending him stuff beforehand, you know, like, hey, check this out, check this out. And yeah, when we split with Craig and I, I let him know, he was like, I, I totally want to do it. He was into it right away. You guys had been talking before. I don't recall exactly the timeline, but I probably not. I think it was, you know, we split with Greg and then we were like, what are we going to do? And we we're just thinking about it. I knew, I'm like, well, I mean, obviously I should just call Dave. It makes the most sense just to see. I mean, if he says no, he's busy, he says no. But I called him and I said, hey, Greg's not in the band. He's like, I want to do it. I want to do the record. I want to do the tour. And he said something really beautiful. And he said, I always hope there'd be a time I can be in Sacred Reich again. Wow. I was really blown away by that because he was in a very successful band. I, the fact that he was even thinking about his experience with us. He was in the band for like a very pivotal point. You guys were touring nonstop. You had just uh, Independent he, and, and he was on uh, The American Way as well, right? Uh, he was on Independent and Heal. And then he split before we started touring. But I mean, he was a machine head for over 20 years. It's a long time. That is a long time. Yeah. That's basically between the album span of... Yes. <laughs> and, and very successful, much more successful than, than we've ever been, you know. So for him to say, I always hope there'd be a time I could be in Sacred Reich, it was really wonderful to hear. It just worked out great, you know. The other new member would be Joey, the young kid on the block, I guess you could say, because he's, he's what, he's like 20, 23 or something like that? Yeah, he turned 23. Yeah, he was... He was younger than our last record, so <laughs> his mom was pregnant with him when we put out Heal. Wow. Did he ever see Sacred Lake live at all? I'm not sure. I can't remember, but I know that Tim and Kirsten, his parents, are big Sacred Reich fans. I remember going over there and they had an autographed American Way poster on the wall. Wow. Okay. So that's how you know him is through his parents. Yeah. Okay. I know Tim and then... Uh, you know, Tim said, look, uh, we have like a little studio and I play drums and my son plays guitar if you want to do some demo stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that would be great. So we started working together on the demo and Tim was playing drums on it because Dave was, you know, Dave was on tour. He was busy, yep. yep. Machine Head and Joey, you know, records everything and plays the guitar stuff. So I'd be like, yeah, like this. And boom, we, we did all the demos. Wow. So then, you know, when... It didn't work out with Jason when it became obvious that Jason wasn't going to be able to do it. Joey was right there and already knew all the songs, so it wasn't wasn't a difficult transition in the studio. Uh, what was the first tour that you guys did? Was it the one with Iron Reagan? Yeah, that was yeah. the first one we did with Joey and Dave again. But uh, Joey was in a band called Warhead from here, okay, and he was actually the drummer. So. <laughs> He can shred on guitar and he can hold a backbeat enough to be in a band and tour. Like he can shred on drums too. He's a crushing drummer. Yeah. He's a wow. crushing drummer. So he's, he's just a talented kid. It's rare to see, but it's great. 
He's a really talented kid, really great attitude, very unassuming. The best thing about Joey is obviously his guitar playing, but a close second is his attitude. You know, when you're in a band, it's important how everybody interacts. Yeah, you're spending 23 hours of the day together and then one hour on stage. Yeah, like in a submarine, you know. <laughs> it's always like you're like in a submarine. So he's really great. You know, we're really lucky because once again, it was kind of last minute. You know, it was, we went up to the first day in the studio with Jason when it was obvious he wasn't going to be able to do it. You know, we tried and tried and tried. That's as far as we could go till we got into the studio. Then I remember Arthur, <laughs> Arthur's uh, was with, I think, Eternal Champion in Spain. He said, I'm going to be a little bit late. I have these gigs. I'm like, dad, don't worry about it. We'll set up. We'll do some stuff. So Arthur showed up the first day and he's like, what's going on? I go, uh, Jason's not in the band anymore. And he's like, no, really, what's going on? I go, no, really. And he's like, what? I'm like, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. So <laughs> that's, that was like, he got out of the cab, gave us a hug. And then was like, what's going on? Oh, wow. That's what's, what's going on. Yeah. It worked out. It worked. Yeah, it worked out great. One thing I've noticed just from like your appearance and the way everyone talks and lyrically, you guys are, are a very positive bunch of people in a world of heavy metal where a lot of it is negativity or it could be portrayed as negativity. How do you stay positive and why are you being positive? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's noticeable and it, you know, it makes me feel positive when I'm listening to the music. So well, good. the last, you know, 20 years or so, maybe yeah, last 20 years or so, I've been practicing Buddhism and I try to keep it positive and have a positive outlook. And I think it came through a lot on the last record. Funny that this last record being the songs that we're writing now kind of under a bit of duress. I'm like, ah, they're definitely not as positive as the last record. I don't know. I just, that was how the whole thing came out and it felt right. And I don't know, it feels good. Yeah, I think when you say why or how, or like you said, oh, it feels good, right? It feels good to be positive, optimistic. It's a good way to look at things. It's not always the easiest thing to do. It's very beneficial, I think. When you're surrounded by it and you're seeing it in, on social media and in the news and, and all that, it's just easier to be negative too than to be that person who's positive and stay positive. So it's good to see that. It's a challenge, but it's uh, it's just better to be that way. There, there's a lot of negativity out there. There's a, it just depends on where you want to look, I guess, really, because there's good stuff and there's bad stuff. It just depends on which way you want to look. Yeah, or which way you're influenced to look. Too. Sure. Let's go back to the beginning, okay? Let's go all the way back to the 80s. Were you born and raised in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona? I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I thought the band started in Arizona. Okay, so here, I didn't know clearly. The started in Arizona, yeah. Okay. I, was 12, I was 12 when we moved to Phoenix. So you're from Brooklyn originally. Yeah. How did you get into metal? What was the influence of you to pick up a bass and, you know, not a guitar? Or, or why are you a singer, you know? I had a friend named Todd and he played guitar and he's like, get a bass, we'll jam. So I started playing bass when I was 13 and we just started jamming. And, you know, that's kind of one thing led to another. I was in a little band and then, you know, Sacred Reich was a band that Jason started and they were out playing. There, there was a completely different band. Yeah. Called you were, you weren't in the band at the beginning. You were I in wasn't Flotsam. In the band while you were in Flotsam and Jessam, right? No. Uh, did you jam in them or jam with them well, a little bit? Well, I did. Like, so when Jason left to join Metallica, they had some gigs in California booked, and they just asked if I would fill in while they were auditioning people. So I played two shows with them. I jammed with them for like two weeks. But Jason started Sacred Reich, and there were a bunch of other dudes in the band. I went and jammed with them, and I was like, call me back when you have a new drummer, because their drummer wasn't very good. <laughs> if your drummer's no good, your band's no good. Yeah, it's not tight. It's just kind yeah. of loose and doesn't So they right. got Greg, who I'd never heard play, but, you know, by reputation was like the hot shot drummer of our area. So I started jamming with them. And then uh, we had a singer. And I used to sing it at practice because I'd write the lyrics. And he, he was a little older than us. And he had a job and apartment and shit and bills to pay. So he sometimes he wouldn't show up to practice. And I would sing just so people would know how the songs would go. And then when we went to go make our first demo... He didn't want to kick in like the hundred bucks that we're all kicking in. <laughs> yeah. And, and Jason was like, fuck him. You sing. I was like, what? I'm not singing. He's like, no, you, you can do it. I'm like, okay. 
So I became our default singer, and then our guitar player left. We got Wiley, and that was the band that everybody knows. It's funny to think the $100 in the moment must have been just like the biggest thing in the world, and now it's just like, it's 100 bucks for like a demo, whatever. <laughs> from his perspective, he's like, I got bills to pay. Mm-hmm. From our perspective, it's like, you're not serious about being in the band if you can't make a $100 commitment. Yeah. That's how we felt, so... Back in those early days, did you ever bump into any of the Daves from Megadeth or anything like that? Because they're from Arizona too, right? or or they're in Arizona based now. I know they are, but I'm not sure if they were back then. Ellison lives here, and Dave uh, Mustaine lived here for a little while. When we were making Heal, Dave was in the same studio with Lee Ving doing the MD45 side project we did together. And I was a huge, huge, huge Fear fan. I was walking in the studio, and Lee was walking out. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and the next day I brought my Fear the Record and had him sign it. Oh, cool. Yeah. And hung out and he came over and hit bongs with us. And we um, actually did a cover of Let's Have a War. And we said, dude, Lee, would you count it off? So on oh, the shit. version, it's him going, what are they about? What are they about? And that was fucking killer. Yeah. <laughs> You're just all like, okay, do it. Do it one more time for us, please. Oh, just, please do it. <laughs> it was totally amazing. <laughs> just to get to hang out with him. He told us great stories. And then, Mustaine was really nice. Like, you hear all kinds of weird stories about him. I, I've heard tons of stories, yeah. And he was really nice. Like, I got his number and stuff. And when Fear came to play, I called him up. I'm like, hey, you're going to go see Fear? And we we went on a date to see Fear. <laughs> uh, that's that's funny. That was kind of fun. Was that like the late 90s 96, then? 96, yeah. yeah, 96. Dave was still partying. He said he wasn't, but I think he was. I remember going to see Corrosion open for them hanging out with those guys and they said Dave's funny like I think he was trying yeah he was trying not to uh, party but maybe he was a little I'm not exactly sure but he said they treated him really good so they had nothing but nice things to say about Megadeth I love that you brought up Corrosion because they're one of my favorite bands of all time the first time I saw them play was uh, the tour they did with Metallica just after Down had done their thing and then uh, I think it was like the Load album I went to go see Metallica for the first time too. And obviously I love Metallica, but I remember seeing this band and they're playing like the bluesy heavy metal. And I was like, what is this? It's so good. And, and to this day, I have loved them because of that show. You know, what's funny is um, before we got a record deal, I'm like, we got to change our name. I can't be in a band called Sacred Reich. I grew up Jewish. Like my grandmother's mom and two sisters were killed, you know, in the Holocaust. I'm like, we got to change our name. We're going to change it to Animosity because that was like my favorite record by Corrosion. And right when we were about to change our name, we got a record deal. And Metal Blade was like, we, we like the name, so we were stuck with it. But seeing COC, I think the first time I saw them was on Technocracy, the Technocracy tour. with Simon Bob, Sinister. And then again, yeah, the next tour. And I got to meet those guys after that and became friendly with them. Mostly, yeah, I'm probably closest with Reed. You guys toured with Pantera in 93. Mm-hmm. Do you have any Dimebag stories that you can share with us that like mean something to you that you've always kept with you? When I think of him, I think of when you think of all the positive connotations of a rock star, just the super fun parts. He was always just super fun, energetic, had a wonderful sense of humor. Like always want to include everybody. It was a really fun tour. I remember we were in New York and Wiley was standing, sitting, watching them set up the stage and Dime had like a, a photo shoot with a guy probably from Guitar World. And he's like, all right, man, I'll be right back. I got to do some stuff. It's going to be crazy. We're going to get wow, We're going to get naked. And then he leaves and like half hour comes back. He's like, I'm sorry, man. I'm, I know you're waiting. I'm, I'll be back. I'll, we're going to get naked. It's going to be crazy. And then he comes back again the third time. He's like, you're on hold like a motherfucker, aren't you? <laughs> He's like, it's okay, man. He goes, next thing Wiley goes, next thing I hear is like, wow. And just hearing, he's like jumping off things with his guitar, you know, taking pictures going, did you get that, man? Did you get it? That was 100% full on coming at you, man. Like, <laughs> he, he was just, I remember coming out of a gig and he was like in somebody's car doing donuts and shit. And the guy's like, will you sign my car? Like just fun. Yeah. Just happy. Just, fun. just, yeah, just fun, cool, like full on, no bullshit. I don't know, man. It was a lot of fun. And it's just very interesting to see the dichotomy between those guys and then like Phil, you know, how Phil yeah. can be like very intense and Brooding, serious. Just, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. 
Phil's like, you got to put weed on your shirt, man. And then they'll throw weed at like that. People would just throw weed on stage and he would come off stage with like a bunch of weed in his hands and joins. He goes, meet me in my dressing room in 15 minutes. You know, <laughs> he'd go take a shower and I go in there and he like, he got this whole mood happening with like some candles and some Bex beers and like Morrissey. And I was like, Dude, if someone walks in, it looks like we're on a date. Like you got the candles lit and shit. He was just a lot of fun. We just had a lot of fun with those guys. Everybody did. I'm, I'm sure it's not just us. Whoever toured with those guys had fun because they were fun. But when we toured with them, it was on Vulgar, which is my favorite record by them. Oh, that's everyone's favorite record. And before it was like massive, massive. They were starting to get really big. And it was just us and them. The first night, I remember they were playing Rise and Phil, you know, there's a lot of words. And Phil was having a hard time with all the words. And he came off stage. I go, dude, that's my favorite song. I'll come sing it with you. He goes, please do. <laughs> you know, just please. So every night I got to sing my favorite song on my favorite record. Oh, with that is cool. Yeah. That's, do you have any video footage of that or anything? There's a video of the last show that we played with them, Ahara Arena in Columbus, Ohio. The whole show. They videotaped it. I probably have it because I, I did collect all those bootlegs on VHS back in the day. I had tons it's of, out of uh, control. shows. Yeah. yeah, The things that they did to us and what we did to them. And <laughs> Did you ever make any of their uh, their own videos? Were you ever on any of them? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I think it was vulgar video. There's like little, little clips of it. Let's go back and watch it. There's so much in there. There's just like, there's just so much footage to like process when you're watching it. Just like Kirk Weinstein running as a green Hulk, you know? And, oh man. He told me fucking some funny ass stories of days off and him and dime. Oh my God. I can't. <laughs> he, 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 when you talk to him, you go, Phil from Sacred Reich said you had a crazy day off story with dime bag. I, you probably got a bunch of I would, I would love to have Kirk on this podcast. And if you can help me make that happen even better, but I would, yeah, yeah I'm sure he's got some crazy stories. Yeah, he, we, you know, we took them on one of their first tours ever. So that was what, like 89, 90? It was 96. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was after down. I don't know. Maybe it was a rock for pot tour. It was uh, Crowbar, Souls at Zero, and us. The other band we took out on their first tour was Obituary. Wow. Yeah. We've known those guys for a long time. Super nice teams. Super, super duper nice guys. Last time I saw you, you had opened or you were getting ready to open for Guar in Toronto at the Opera House. And I remember you came over and you said hello and you said you weren't feeling well. If I remember correctly, you guys had probably like another week or so with Guar. And then you had like a European tour for like five or six weeks booked. So how do you push yourself when you're under the weather and you're, you're in a bus with, you know, the rest of the band and whoever else is touring with you? How do you push yourself to still go out and say hello to people and, and get on stage and rock for like another six weeks? Well, you don't have a choice, right? What do they say? The show must go on. The show must go on. It was a terrible decision to book an eight-week tour back-to-back with a five-week tour. I mean, literally, like, <laughs> the last show with Guar, the next day, fly to Denmark, have a day off, and then start five weeks there. It was a terrible decision that I will never do again. But it just, <laughs> it just we had the European tour booked, and then the Guar thing came up, and we didn't want to turn it down. Yeah, it was two months, you know, and it was wonderful. Those guys were great, and it was super fun. Yeah, you just do it, man. You, look, I have asthma and stuff. 
If I get a cold, it turns into like a respiratory infection. And then I got to get out and play and sing every night. So you just shut up and you do it. You know, you just try to lay low and sleep as much as you can and then just get your ass up and go do the show. That's your responsibility. I mean, what else? It's your job. It's, It's what you wanted to do. Yeah, and everyone's counting on you too. I mean, you can't just start canceling shows. Everyone's counting on you. The other bands are counting on you. and You just do it. I remember maybe like a month before your show, the same thing happened with Danny Filth. He was playing in Toronto and he was like deathly sick. You could see it on stage. He's got those three different singing voices he has to do. He's like three different people on stage. So he's probably trying not to puke or shit himself on stage when he's doing those. They only took one song out of the set. They still played, you know, the hour and 20 minutes and he he killed it. I'm sure afterwards it sucked for him, but he still did it. Yeah, you just have to do it. When we were touring with Sepultura, like must have been 91 in Europe, I wound up going to the hospital twice on that tour. Like I was really sick. I think we did cancel a show or two. But when I got home, I went to my doctor at home. He's like, oh man, you have full-blown mono. I had mono and pleurisy on top of my asthma. And pleurisy is just the inflammation, the lining of your lungs. It just hurts. Every time you breathe deep or cough, and I would turn my back and cough to, you know, turn my back so people didn't see me and just hack my brains out, turn around saying, man, it, it was rough. And then we got home and we had like I think a week or 10 days before we went out for nine weeks in the U.S. It was like six weeks in Europe and then nine weeks in the U.S. <laughs> you shut up. And I was at least young. What pushes you to keep wanting to do this? It's just the best thing you could do. There's nothing cooler that you could do than play music. For me, I mean, maybe other people like other things, but there's nothing cooler you can do than play music, be in a band, travel around the world, play music. I mean, it's really a dream come true. Meet people interact with new people all the time, try new food around the world. And I love traveling. I just like having those experiences and walking around in different cities. And, you know, like early on, we were so serious about everything. I think sometimes we forgot to have fun and remember what we were doing and take it all in. Yeah. So now I make sure that, you know, I'm up and I'm out walking around and wherever we are, you know, just exploring and checking things out. I'm a huge metal guy, but I'm also really into punk as well. Do you listen to punk at all or do you have any bands that you like that are punk rock? Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly, well, like growing up in New York, like around the 70s, like I in my house, it was like Earth, Wind & Fire, Stevie Wonder and that kind of stuff. And then when I moved to Phoenix, my friend, I told you about my friend Todd, and he was turning me on to like, because I didn't have, a lot of kids have older brothers that turned them on to music and different things, but I had Todd. And he turned me on to like Rush, Black Sabbath and all that stuff. So I started getting into that. And then my friend Jeff, like punk rock, and he would play me all kinds of stuff. He'd be like, check out GBH. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. He's like, how about Discharge? I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. He played me all this stuff. And then he's like, TRI. I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, really? Of all the shit I played you, that's the stuff. I'm like, yeah, like DRI, DRI is awesome. DRI Corrosion, MDC, you know, obviously Bad Brains. I'm not like a huge punk rock guy. Yeah, those are more like hardcore punk, like post-punk yeah. hardcore bands, which is okay. Those are all great bands too. You can't go wrong with those bands. Yeah. Can we do a little, uh, I'm going to name two bands and you pick which one you prefer. Okay. Slayer or Pantera? Slayer. Easy. That's it. That's it. Okay. I said, Pan- I said Pantera. Slipknot or Lamb of God? My kids like Slipknot. I like one song by Slipknot. Which one is it? Uh, Duality. I think it was like, I liked it because it was more melodic. Like, Mm -hmm. I appreciate, look, I can appreciate bands for what they do, for how heavy they are, for their live show. And, you know, but like, you know, you're like Slayer, Pantera. Like, for me, Slayer and Metallica are the gods. Like, Pantera, I remember them opening for us. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and when you meet people and you're friends with them first, even though they're legends, like to many many people, yeah, you have a different relationship with them, you know? It was too much later to make a real big impression on. And I remember seeing Slipknot open for Slayer at one of these, you know, package Mm -hmm. tours and just going, okay, like people really got it. People really loved it. And they were very intense, you know? And I, I want everybody to be successful that's in a band, I think. I don't really even care what they sound like. You're playing music. I want you to be successful. I want you to be able to make a living playing music and I'm happy for you. 
whether I like your band or don't like your band. And you could always find things to appreciate. Oh, I love that. That's great. I picked Slipknot. <laughs> Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica, easy. Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, I love the first two Megadeth records. I love the Gar and Chris Megadeth. Okay. We opened for, we opened for them on, um, what was the second record? I'm drawing Peace a blank. Peace Cells. So Flotsam opened for them. We saw, they played two shows. Megadeth played two shows, like a kid show and a over 21 show in Phoenix on the Killing Is My Business tour. We hung out with them at the Flotsam house and they were awesome. And then we opened up for them on the next tour. But um, like Metallica, period. There's Metallica. Metallica's the GOAT. And then there's everyone else. And like Slayer, it's like Metallica's 1A and Slayer to me is 1B. Did you guys ever play with Metallica? No. Uh, you, I'm assuming you've, you've, you've had to have meet, met them. Yeah. Okay. I remember the day Cliff died, we had a show and Jason came to the show and had a black armband on. And ri- I mean, he ripped it in half. He's like, we're in mourning, you know, bass players. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, practice up. We're going to go audition. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Did you audition? Like, I was, no, I was fucking 16. I wasn't going to audition for Metallica. It wasn't <laughs> in my stratosphere, but he was 22. And he went and auditioned. And I remember I heard about it and I was like, I called him. I go, what? And he's like, yeah, dude, I'm going back for a second audition. We're like, fuck. So he went and he got the gig. He went and played Japan with them and came back. And we went over to his house and he had a video of him playing with Metallica in Japan. And we were like, get the fuck out. Like, what the fuck? And then he moved up there, you know. And then, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to remember time-wise. I think the first time I saw him was, shit, man, when they did Monsters of Rock, was that before Injustice for All or before the Black Record? That was before the Black Record. I remember them playing Harvester of Sorrow. So I, I think it was 89. So then I guess the first time I saw them with Jason was on the Justice Tour. That was totally insane. And I just remember just being so, I would get so nervous around James Hetfield. He seems like a cool cat, just like a... He was my hero. And he knew. He weaponized his stature. Like he could pick up on it and he would fuck with you because <laughs> he thought it was funny. And I would just get so nervous around him. I'm not nervous around him anymore, but yeah. it was just such a, an incredible thing. I mean, Metallica were our heroes and Jason joined their band. It's like you're in like, okay, I have a buddy that's in Metallica. Now I can meet them, you know, and hang with them. Like the coolest fucking thing that's ever happened to anybody I've ever known. And then I remember um, when we went to see him at Monsters of Rock, you know, with Van Halen and Scorpions and all those bands and like the limo pulling up and I saw James Hetfield get out. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like, you know, Kirk and all. I was like, wow. It's just amazing to me. I think Kirk Hammett's probably like the coolest one. He's always been like just the most approachable one. Like Lars is very outgoing. Lars's mind is like a fucking seal trap. It's amazing. It's crazy how much he knows. He just remembers everything. I met him once or twice and I saw him at a, at the fucking LA Coliseum when they were opening for Guns N' Roses. They were playing with Guns N' Roses. No, I shouldn't say open, but they were co-headlining. And he goes, hey, Phil, how are the kids? And I was like totally, completely, utterly blown away. That he, A, remembered my name, and B, remembered I had kids. He knew who you guys were, and he was following everything you guys were doing. 100% he was. Because that's the type of person he is. He loves music, and he loves metal, and he probably loved your music. I don't know, but I know he remembered that I had kids, and that was crazy. (laughs) Very cool. So I have two more for you. The last two are a little bit controversial for a lot of people. To me, they're very easy answers. But So the first one is Zeppelin or Sabbath? Oof, yeah. That's easy for you? That's easy. It's, oh, yeah, it's easy. Uh, Sabbath. Sabbath for you? Yeah. I guess hard for me. I'll say Sabbath, but it's, yeah. Why, why would you do that to me? It's 1977. You're in New York City. Uh, Zeppelin's playing in one place on the opposite side of New York and, and Sabbath's on the other side. They're playing the exact same time. You can only get to see one band live. You have two tickets in your hand. Who do you go see? Yeah, I'm, I'm angry at you. <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> why can't they be on the same bill why do you make me have to choose <laughs> like Sophie's Choice I'm sorry I think I think I think because like my two favorite bands are like the Beatles and Led Zeppelin really yeah okay so that, that the next question is going to be really easy for you then the Beatles or the Stones 
Oh yeah, the Beatles. I did a whole podcast with Danko Jones about this, and he was just playing devil's advocate, saying the, <laughs> you know, saying the Stones. I said, what we should do is just switch halfway. But I definitely like uh, the Beatles much better than the Stones. I agree with you. I'm a Beatles guy. I'm a Beatles cat. What's your favorite Beatles album? I really like Abbey Road a lot, and I like Revolver a lot, and I like Rubber Soul a lot. That's my favorite. Rubber Soul is my favorite Beatles album. I feel like it's it's at the point where they're starting to experiment and they're they're writing so well. Their songwriting ability is just amazing. And it's right before Revolver when they just get a little bit weirder and the songs on it are just... Yeah, I love the Beatles. Uh, the front to back. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, when the first tour we ever did in Europe was, was Motorhead Destruction, Candlemass, Us and Corner, like these Motorhead... German Christmas festivals and um, the drummer for destruction at the time, Ollie, I hung out with him a lot and his favorite band was the Beatles. And I think his favorite record is rubber soul too. Yeah. It's just a great album. Can't go wrong with that. It's perfect. And who's your favorite Beatle? Like post Beatles. I share a birthday with, with Paul McCartney. So he was always my favorite Beatle. And even afterwards, uh, Wings and all that stuff, I'd, I'd say. I love the song he did with Michael Jackson. And just, I'd, I was just always, I've just always been a Paul fan. How about you? I'm a John guy. Yeah, John guy? Yeah, I, I think probably the coolest Beatle to hang out with would have been George Harrison. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as far as solo material goes, but John Lennon without question. That's like, to me, it's not even close. He wrote so many amazing songs after the Beatles. Like, I think Paul McCartney was, you know, very poppy and, and wrote, you know, beautiful love songs and stuff. But watching the wheels and mind games, those things are just, it, there was a point in my life where I was going through a lot of stuff and I was listening to, and I'm like, you're talking right to me. You know, you know the feeling. So, yeah. yeah, he made a big impact on me. Poor Ringo. He doesn't get any love. You know, there was a funny thing. It said, you know, John was a driving force and, and Paul was a cute one and George was a spiritual one and Ringo was the drummer. <laughs> yeah, he's going he's gonna to outlive them all probably too. He's amazing though. Like the way that he played, he's probably one of the most underrated drummers because he's not flash. He doesn't play, but he plays exactly what you need the song and that's all that really matters he didn't let his ego get in the way like when you see videos of them how funny they are and i can't imagine being in a band like that how overwhelming it must have been for them and a lot of isolation that they felt and people talk about rich and famous i'm gonna give me the rich keep the famous i don't i can't see that there's any benefit to being a famous person it was one decade not even a decade and and seven years yeah Amazing what they accomplished in seven years. There's a new documentary coming out. Uh, I forget now who's... Uh, Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Did you see that like trailer? The trailer for it? It looks... Yeah. Uh, just like watching it. I'm like, they're having so much fun in the studio. And I'm just like, I can't wait to watch this. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And Ron Howard made that one about the touring years. That was really great. Eight Days a Week, I think it was called. Yeah, incredible. Man. I, I feel the same about Led Zeppelin, you know? Like, I just think their breadth and scope and what they meant to music and the individual and Robert Plant's voice and Bonham. And I just, I think they're amazing too. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> You're not into Zeppelin? I understand. Like, they're great musicians. They have some cool songs. and like, I'll listen to them. But I've never been one to be like, fully everything Zeppelin getting, I've never really gotten into them to that point where I'm just like reading all the lyrics and sure. It's just never been a thing for me. I, I know the hits. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is too, is like, it's how you interact with art and how subjective it is. You know, they have some good stuff, but it didn't resonate with you. Like you see a painting, you either resonates with you or it doesn't. You hear music. This is the thing that, being in a band and at some point having to come to terms with is you write the songs that you think are best and whether people like them or not has nothing to do with you. It doesn't matter. So whether people like it or don't like it, how do you quantify? Like you can talk about music as commerce and say, okay, we can judge it on how many records you sold or how popular it is. 
but it's hard to quantify artistic merit. Like, can you say that new kids on the block are better than the bad brands because they sold more records? <laughs> well, financially, you can say that. You can say on a commercial level, yes. But on an artistic level and what they mean, you, you can't. No. Yep. A long time ago, I had a friend and he said, look, my favorite band is Seal Pole Bathtub. And no one even knows who the fuck they are. He goes, but to me, they're Metallica. He goes, and there's people that feel the same way about your band. And I never really thought about it in that way. And I thought, yeah, there's people that come up and they fucking love Sacred Reich. And it means a lot to them. And they tell me about, you know, specific songs. And I just think it's wonderful. But the overwhelming majority of people on the planet have no fucking clue that we even exist. And that's okay, too. Yeah, that's absolutely okay. There's some people like, I, uh, hey, what are you doing today? Well, I'm, I'm interviewing Phil from Sacred Reich. And some of them will be like, oh, I never heard of that band. But I was texting with Dave Brown Sound from Sum 41 today. He was like, hey, what are you up to? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm interviewing. I'm interviewing Phil. And he was just like, oh, that's, that's so cool. That is so cool. They're such a great band. So it, it really depends uh, on the person and what they're into and what they know and what they don't know. Yeah, and how old they are and when they were around. Because, you know, you may have even missed that. whole. I mean, we were around from, our first record came out in 87 to 96. That's not that long. You know, and if, and if you weren't like into that metal scene, you know, how would you even hear? We're like a marginal band from that period. Well, like that was a great time for heavy metal. Like that period of time was great. It, for me, I was a teenager in the early 90s. In the 90s, I was a teenager and and much music. I'm in Canada, so not MTV, but right. much music was my jam. And, and like, I remember seeing you on much music for sure. You know, they sure. had the specialty heavy metal shows and I'd watch those. And you're definitely, obviously everyone's talking about Pantera, Slayer and Metallica and Megadeth, but. There's definitely people talking about you guys too. Like it, in my world, you guys were a, a big deal. You know, and it's, and it's interesting too, like perspective, right? If you really like Sacred Reich and we struck a nerve with you, you know, some people are really into the lyrics and they're like, yeah, you know, but it, it's just funny. I remember meeting one kid and he was like really, really nervous. You know, he's like, Phil Rind, you're my hero. And I'm like, stop. Like, <laughs> I shouldn't be anyone's hero. I mean, I go, it's very nice. I appreciate it. But it's weird. I'm, I remember I was with Newstead once and we went to see um, Willie Dixon, a legendary bass player from Chess Records, wrote songs, for, you know, wrote tons of songs for Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters. I mean, the real deal. And we went to go see uh, Willie Dixon and I had a box set of Willie Dixon and I forgot to bring like the liner notes I wanted him to sign. Jason forgot his camera. We forgot everything. We just went, saw him play and we got to meet him. And when we left, <laughs> Jason goes, now I know how the kids feel when they <laughs> come meet us. You know, just like, yep. we're like, oh my God, sir, it's such a pleasure to meet you. You know, he goes, how are you cats doing tonight? And we're uh, like, oh fuck, man. Uh, that's like, awesome. Wow. Yeah. So it's all relative, I guess. Gives you perspective, a little bit of perspective on, yeah. on your position. Yeah, well, for, I mean, for us, I mean, we're just fucking a bunch of idiots. We're just lucky, glad to be here, you know. Um, I know rock stars, we ain't them, so it's okay. On behalf of the metal community, we appreciate that you are where you are and who you are. So thank you for that. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. We're really fortunate. You know, the fact that anybody still remembers who we are, cares what we're doing, all these years later, it's uh, a little mind-blowing, and we really appreciate it a great deal. Hopefully you roll into Toronto soon, and I can shoot you guys with my camera again, because it's always a fun time. Yeah, I told Dank yeah. he's got to be prepared next time. He didn't want to come out and sing uh, War Pigs. He was all nervous and shit. I'm like, just do the whoa-whoa-whoa's. It'll be great. Was he at the Guar show? Yeah, I think so. Was it a Guar, or I think it was our show. Was it the Iron Reagan, the one with Iron Reagan? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think he was gone when we were out with Quar. Danko's awesome. He's fucking the coolest. I've been talking to him about doing this podcast, and he said he was going to do it. It's just uh, he was a little bit busy with uh, album stuff, and and uh, uh, they had just done, uh, they did a live stream and all that stuff. They did two live streams, yeah. I appreciate that bands do that. I have zero fucking desire to do 
live stream. I asked you to, if you wanted to do one of the Mikey and his you cover, and you're like, I don't want to play bass in my living room and look at the camera. It just seems awkward. And I was like, yeah, I, I can see that. It's really awkward. We were playing this show in Mexico. And uh, was it Mexico City, Monterey? I can't remember. We were playing a show, and Phil and the Illegals were there. He's like, come out and sing, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't even know the words. <laughs> I got a piece of paper. I'm reading the words off a piece of paper. With no bass on you? Yeah, and I feel like such an asshole. And, <laughs> and, and they were here playing in town. He's like, come on up. I'm like, ah, I feel weird. I don't like, I don't, I just feel weird. Thank you so much for being on the Miserable Failure Podcast. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. And uh, I will shoot Kurt a message, Kirk a message and be like, come on, man. I just did it. It was great. There you go. There you have it. There is the interview with Phil. It was uh, fun catching up with him. He has some great stories, some great stories. I can listen to him talk and talk and talk and talk. Uh, so thank you for that, Phil. Thank you for hanging out with me and uh, chatting with me. Can't wait to see you in Toronto eventually whenever that does happen. And I can't wait to hear the new Sacred Reich stuff. That is going to be some, some epic shit, I am sure. If you want to know what songs I played by Sacred Reich today, you can just hit up crustymedia.ca slash podcast, and I'll have all the information there, as well as all the other episodes that you can listen to, download, stream, share with your friends. That would be fantastic. I also have some brand new merch available at crustymedia.ca. All you got to do is hit that shop button. There is a lot of stuff there, mugs, we got masks, we got phone cases, t-shirts, hoodies, you name it, we got it, including prints. I am a photographer. I have done a lot of concert photography, and there are prints available on there, including one with Phil. So please check that out if you're interested. Like always, I want to say thanks to Steve Risen for mixing and for mastering this episode and all the episodes previous. Thanks so much, Steve. And to everyone else for tuning in, thank you, thank you, thank you. See you next time.